Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and this is another one of my first look episodes. And if I sound a little bit excited, it's because I am excited. It feels like it's been ages since I've first looked. So this is really cool. I'm really pleased. I'm really happy to be first looking again. And it's kind of extra exciting for me because I'm first looking Return to the Forgotten Age. And that's going to be a really fun challenge because, of course, the Return to sets normally redo cards from that cycle. And even though that's only two cycles ago, well, there's two cycles between where we are now and that one, that feels like quite a long time. I think maybe it's lockdown has meant everything's felt a bit further away. But back in the kind of Carcosa Dunwich times, it felt like I had a really strong grasp of what came out when. And now it's all slightly this sort of hazy, not quite sure what came out when. So I'm really excited to see what we get, how it compares. And yeah, just before I go any further as well, just a little bit of a reminder of what first looks are about. First looks are about sharing my excitement of opening a pack with you. And part of that is because I believe that you, the listener, have that same excitement when you dig into a pack. And I really hope you do. I really hope it's the case that when you get the pack in your hands, you can look at the new cards and feel excited for what new decks you can build and wonder where the new cards might fit into the decks you already have, that sort of thing. Maybe even the cards that we consider the head scratchers, maybe they're the things that really get you going, going, really this? How does this work? Where does this fit in? So trying to share that, trying to encourage those conversations around the game, trying to encourage people to explore what's out there and, yeah, enjoy the pool of cards growing ever larger and the chances for new and exciting and wonderful decks. I think I've said exciting and wonderful quite a lot so far to appear. I'm excited. I'm full of wonder. Last thing, it is hot. My word. Definitely, you cannot question my commitment to being in character for this cycle It's so warm. I've closed all the windows to record as well. So I feel like I'm in this sweltering jungle with my shirt sticking to my back and sweat running down my brow. It's perfect. It's just so good for Forgotten Age to get into that zone of this is crazy hot. Let's do this. And I've had a quick flick through the encounter cards just to see how many cards there were per scenario. And there are so many cool things already. I can't wait to get playing. So yeah, let's do some player cards. The first card I saw it as I opened the plastic wrap is Blood Eclipse, but it's Blood Eclipse level one, and it's had me racing to go and look up Blood Eclipse level three. So let's check out level one. One cost, one XP, willpower and combat icons, so far identical to its level three counterpart. It's spell and spirit traded, so there's a whole host of people who can take it, including Calvin. Marie can take spells as well. So yeah, kind of mixture there. As an additional cost to play Blood Eclipse, take two damage. Fight. This attack uses willpower instead of combat. You get plus two willpower and deal plus two damage for this attack. Ooh, okay. So the difference here is that the level three version is take up to three damage, and this is take two damage. No choice. Both fights use willpower instead of combat. This one gives you two willpower straight away. The other one gives you plus one willpower for each damage you took so up to plus three, and deal plus two damage. It's, again, static here. So what you're getting with the level three version, which we already have, is the choice. You could pay one, just take a single damage, get plus one willpower, and do two damage total. Or you could pay one, take three damage to deal four damage yourself. 
in the attack. Confusing that you're taking damage and dealing damage, but there we go. But this one is just capped at plus two willpower, deal two damage. Kind of cool. Yeah, I think Bladder Kits level three is a card I'd really like to play more of. I was joking recently in a playthrough with a friend that if I'd taken Blood Eclipse in Marie, I could kill Marie in two plays of Blood Eclipse because you can just take the three damage each time. She's only got six health and you're out. And therein to me lies the conundrum of Blood Eclipse, which is who are the investigators who have high health, decent willpower, and want to take damage to then deal damage? So... When Blood Eclipse 3 came out, and I think it's the same for Blood Eclipse 1, you think, well, why am I using my willpower to do an attack when I could just be taking a big gun? And I think the other thing underlying why my perception of Blood Eclipse is that it's underplayed is that it's an event. So you're spending 6 XP for this event. You can do 8 damage with the event, but it's just 2 explosions of damage and that's it. For a comparable amount of XP, you could take, say, the Guardian Thompson and be dealing its what? five ammo so 10 damage for that or you could take guardian enchanted blade and have a reliable combat boost for the rest of the scenario as well as a chance to do six damage if you use the charges so yeah i can see how it kind of fell through the cracks a little bit i like this as a a kind of stepping stone to that though i think it's interesting so i'm thinking of maybe leo maybe zoe because they have high willpower maybe we need to look at this with the announced guardian for the Innsmouth Conspiracy, Sister Mary, who also is willpower four, I think. I can't remember her health pool, though. I want to say six. Maybe we also want to think about this in Carolyn, as she can't take weapons level one plus, and she might be taking healing as part of her damage and horror mitigation solutions. Those are all options that are worth bearing in mind. And then I think Calvin is a really interesting pick for this card at level one and level three. Because what you're doing with Blood Eclipse level 1 is boosting your physical stats, maybe at a time when you can't use them to fight or evade, but then you're getting to use one of your mental stats to actually fight. So it gives you an enemy management solution that actually doesn't care about how much damage you've taken, it cares about how much horror you've taken. And I think that's kind of cool. So he's definitely one worth bearing in mind. Oh, and another one. The Guardian investigator starter, Nathaniel Cho, he cares about doing more damage from events, doesn't he? So both copies of Blood Eclipse do more damage when he uses them, which is cool. That's Blood Eclipse. Next card, Survival Knife Neville 2. Now this is one that was announced. So what's happened with Survival Knife? It's still the same cost. It's now 2 XP rather than 0 XP. It's gained a combat icon, so it has 2. Item, weapon, and melee traded. Fight, you get plus 2 combat for this attack. So that's as good as the Guardian Enchanted Blade. Reaction. When an enemy attacks you during the enemy phase, before resolving that attack, exhaust survival knife, fight. This attack targets the attacking enemy. You get plus two combat and deal plus one damage for this attack. So the big difference there is that the level zero is after an enemy attack deals damage to you. And in this one, that when an enemy attacks, you get to stab them first, which is pretty cool. Pretty sure that if you kill them with the stab, their attack doesn't resolve because they no longer exist. They're dead. So it's a little bit like uh, with Guard Dog. When you're attacked by Guard Dog, you put a damage on Guard Dog, hit back, and then if it's, say, killing a Pit Viper, the Pit Viper's forced effect can't trigger anymore because it's dead, which is pretty good. Yeah, for, for 2 XP, 
the basic fight action stay goes plus one, which is good. You get another icon, which is good. And you get the ability to hit before rather than afterwards. I think this just leans into that. If you're playing Yorick, maybe Tommy playing a hit me style, this just makes that even stronger. There might be times where you no longer want to be hit. You might still end up with lots of enemies on you in the enemy phase, but you're just wanting to stab them before they can stab you. I think it's really nice. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a really cool card, actually. And it's a really great kind of offhand weapon, I would say. If you're trying to do that final point of damage on a three health enemy, you might not want to use ammo or use a big gun or something like that. But this gives you a plus two, which is just like a really decent place to be. I'm feeling like more and more as Guardian, I quite like all my weapons to have a decent boost baked in. Not that I don't have the combat, but just deck slots are so tight. If I want to run interesting, fun, different things in my deck, I'd really like the weapons I play to give me a, like, a tasty boost and make it worthwhile. That's where I'm a really big fan of Enchanted Blade that's giving you the plus two. So you might not have other cards to commit, but you're still good. So yeah, so that, I've seen that shift recently and I, I really like it that yeah, you get this big boost. That is Guardians done. Survival Knife and Blood Eclipse, very nice. Truth from Fiction is the first Seeker card. You know I'm all about Truth From Fiction. It's like my favourite card, more or less. I say that. I say that mostly tongue-in-cheek. I just really like mentioning Truth From Fiction whenever I get the chance. So I should be able to remember Truth From Fiction level zero, but I'll have it ready just in case. So this is the level two version. It's one cost, which means it's gone down in a cost. It's got triple intellect icon now, so it's gained an icon. It's insight traded, as most but not all Seeker events are. Place two secrets among assets controlled by investigators at your location. Three secrets instead, if there is a clue on your location. How do you know I'm mad, said Alice. You must be, said the cat, or you wouldn't have come here. Lewis Carroll, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Okay, this is an awesome upgrade. One cost cheaper, one icon more. The original Truth From Fiction you could only play if there was a clue on your location. But this doesn't care anymore. You can always place two secrets. And if there happens to be a clue, you place three secrets, which is a full rook recharge or chucking secrets onto Old Book of Law level three, chucking secrets into the Otherworld Codex is pretty cool. Chucking three secrets onto your ancient stones to keep doing damage and heal horror, also super cool. Are we going to get a third ancient stone now? That would be really cool as well. So I just really enjoy the secrets build. I just think it's really fun. It's it's just an interesting resource to toy with in Seeker. And I find Truth From Fiction as a two cost can sometimes be a really useful way of like say, keeping Rook rolling if I'm rolling Rook or filling up Old Book of Law. It's actually also a really good target for Old Book of Law level three if you don't see anything else you want to play because it essentially just keeps charging up Old Book of Law level three, which is really lovely. And yeah, I don't really play Esoteric Atlas, but it's more moves if you play Esoteric Atlas. I just think it's a really flexible card. It's, I mean, it's a bit like extra ammo, but Seeker Secrets do more things than Guardian ammo, normally speaking. That's why I like it. So yeah, I, I think this is really cool. The one downside, you don't get as much of a discount in Joe's Hunch deck, but still, why not? Okay, it is another Ancient Stone for the next card. Two cost, four XP, double agility icons. So I'm pretty sure it's like riffing on the ancient stone icons. 
item and relic traded. You can only include this asset in your deck by upgrading it from Ancient Stone Unidentified, and only if you have identified the stone in your campaign log. Uses X secrets, X is the number in parentheses next to you have identified the stone. Reaction. When you draw any number of cards, spend that many secrets. Move that many times takes up the hand slot. So we have draw cards to heal horror, draw cards to deal damage, and then draw cards to move. So that means in every upkeep you get a free move if you want it. You also potentially save up that cryptic research is a triple move, spending no action. So you draw three cards, move three times. I'm imagining that it's not a move action, so you can probably move with enemies engaged with you, I would assume. But if you move into a location where there are enemies, they are going to engage you and then pile up with you. Maybe there's like a cool play here of sort of sprinting through locations with different enemies and gathering all them all up together to then have someone throw dynamite on you or you throw dynamite on them. Seems super strong. The other thing I'm thinking about is this in Ursula is just your steady free move every upkeep that then gives you a free investigate. I'm pretty sure you can trigger her investigate outside of the investigation phase, which would mean you just get a ping move. The hesitation I feel about this is that often your seeker wants to stay with your guardian or stay with your fighter for protection. Often, not always, depends on the seeker. And you, you sort of want to stay with the party. So not moving at the end of your turn is maybe a good thing because you're going to be protected. But we've now seen plenty of ways of moving other than this. So like safeguard, for instance, you could, as long as you move during your turn, you could and draw cards during your turn for this card is what I mean. You could pull the guardian with you and they'd still be protecting you, which is pretty nice. Also, I guess just the freedom of opening up locations. If you're going to set up something like an open gate or you want to trigger Luke's ability and have him move around the map, being able to draw cards heavily and then spend a load of secrets and move is pretty cool. I quite like the idea of having this down and then at some point turboing around the map and seeing a load of locations. I think that could be really fun just to set up maybe a deciphered reality play, say. And, you know, this isn't to say as well that you don't lean into also having Pathfinder and just being crazy at like not spending any actions to move. At heart, this game taxes you ex actions. It's the main way it combats you to slow you down to do things. And particularly in solo, moving is one of the most action-intensive things you do. And as you've seen from my live play, some of the times that things have gone wrong is that I've not really known what to do at one location, so I've moved to another location. And then I've realised, oh, hang on, I can't do anything here. I'm going to have to move back. That's two actions wasted, two-thirds of a turn. Having ways of being able to move that don't spend actions? Love it. That is the Ancient Stone done. The next card is the Spooky Skull. Decorated Skull. Doom begets Doom. It's zero cost, it's now got 3 XP on it, and it's willpower and it's gained a combat icon. Item, relic, and cursed? Hmm, has it gained the curse trait there? Intriguing if so. No, it's always was cursed. Uses zero charges, so Akachi can take it. Reaction, after an investigator, ally asset, or enemy at your location is defeated, place one resource from the token bank on decorated skull, as a charge. So far, so similar. Action, spend up to three charges, draw that many cards and gain that many resources. Yes! Amazing! Accessory slot. So rather than one action gets you one resource and one card, you can spend an action to gain three resources and draw three cards, as long as you built the resources up. That is stellar 
for how much it compresses, compresses those actions. I love it. That's really cool. And, sorry, I thought it had gained a combat icon. The willpower icon it had it used to have an agility icon. So it's actually lost an agility icon and gained a willpower and a combat icon. So that's kind of strange that it's changed icons. Is that the first instance of a card changing icons entirely in an upgraded version? Weird if so. I think that seems really strong. I think particularly in Tony, who's doing the killing himself, that's amazing. I think if you're playing a cluey, say, cluey Finn, maybe even cluey Jenny, you have this down and the plan is that you're not necessarily killing things, but maybe you're often with your protector who's killing enemies. And at that point, the skull just slowly ticks up and then blam, you do stuff with it. I think the other thing is in Akachi, this could be pretty cool, partly as a torrent battery, but then also, you know, a bit of card draw and economy and mystic is never a bad thing. It's kind of nice. You're forgoing, I guess, the rosary or other accessories you're using to boost stats. So that would be worth bearing in mind. But yeah, pretty cool. Next is little Pock Pock, level two. Colt Vest Pocket, level two. That is really good. So it's two cost, which it was before. It's gained a combat icon. It's now combat and agility. Item, weapon, firearm, illicit. Uses five ammo. All of this is the same. Spend one ammo, fight. You get plus two combat for this attack. This attack deals plus one damage. What was I just saying about a nice plus two boost on your weapon? Forced at the end of the round, if you triggered Colt Vest Pocket's action ability, discard it. Ah! You can play Colt Vest Pocket earlier than you need it, and then you want to save up for a moment when you can potentially do all five shots in one turn, because then you're losing the weapon. But at a push, you could shoot a couple of times or three times, but it's not going necessarily on the turn you play it. It's just going on the turn that you activate it. That's a kind of nice little twist there that you set up with the Colt Vest Pocket, but you don't fire it. And then when you really need it, blah, 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 you fire it. Maybe you're setting up a let God sort them out situation. Maybe you're evading enemies in the build up to it. And then when you really need to, you then start firing because you know you're losing the Colt Vest Pocket. It's like a concentrated 10 damage into a single turn. Maybe you're also waiting to make sure you've got the actions ready to be able to shoot five times. That's kind of neat. Kind of sweet, I think. I'm not thinking that this weapon is my immediate go-to take in Rogue, and I think maybe the Derringer is still hedging this one out, although the Derringer is conditional damage. The nice thing about the Derringer is the extra actions at level 2. But yeah, this is, this is competing in a nice way. I guess the challenge here is just that you only get a turn's worth of shooting. Better probably in a large group where you can guarantee a turn where you do just need to go crazy on things and a little bit worse in solo, where you maybe have one enemy that you want to kill, then a couple of turns without an enemy, then another enemy, and investing two in an action for only being able to deal with one of those situations would be a bit frustrating. Okay, keeping with the theme of the return two boxes, we have a new version of Mists Rillier. I'm pretty sure they gave us the new Rite of Seeking in return to Dunwich. Although I could be wrong about that. Okay, so this is the level two version, so halfway between the zero and four. It's two cost, agility icon, spell, uses five charges. So I think it's gained a charge from the level zero version and it's gone up to what the level four has. Spend a charge, evade. This evasion attempt uses willpower instead of agility. You get plus one willpower for this evasion attempt. So somewhere half between the level four and the level zero. If you succeed after evading the chosen enemy, you may move to a connecting location. If a skull, 
cultist tablet elder thing or tentacle symbol is revealed during this evasion attempt i nearly said if a sean ian nick scott that's why i was pausing choose and discard a card from your hand takes up the arcane slot i don't think i have too much to say about this beyond i like it what a nice stepping stone if you're going to be running mists level four with two arcane research you can start with two mists zero in your deck and by scenario four you're at two mists four having spent zero xp which is just mad. I like that it has a little baked-in boost as a stepping stone. I suppose it couldn't have a plus two boost here, because that's really all the level four is giving you, the extra charge and the plus two boost. So a plus one boost, you're on your way, you get the move. The downside is pretty annoying. Uh, Yeah, it can be crippling, actually, if you're trying to keep cards in hand. That's why you're running Spooky Skull and drawing a load of cards. But yeah, that's a nice stepping stone card, I think. And yeah, if if you're... mystic's role is evasion then it's pretty good like someone like luke probably likes something like this you want the mobility you maybe want to evade rather than fight although luke can fight and actually the thing that holds luke back at lower levels is his four willpower rather than a five willpower same with mateo you you like those xp spells you could even run both of these in mateo at level zero and it just gives you a a nice already boost you already evade at five which is pretty decent next is the chthonian stone stygian waymark level three it's two cost which i'm pretty sure means that it's gone down from three cost yeah that's right it's willpower and intellect icons here so it's gained a willpower icon item relic and cursed just like the spooky skull seal skull cultist tablet or elder thing uses three charges if the chthonian stone has no charges return it to your hand forced after you reveal a tentacle symbol during the skill test remove one charge from the chthonian stone ah okay so the difference here is it's gained the three charges so it doesn't just bump straight back to your hand as soon as you see a tentacle you get three tentacles before it goes back that seems a vast improvement and the two cost meaning that you can play it back down a lot more easily than three cost. Well, one resource more easily. I think that's a pretty significant drop. I see the Chthonian Stone used quite a lot. I think it's quite a nice level zero option because it just, you know, particularly actually in the Forgotten Age where depending on your path, you might be fairly limited for what special symbols there are. So locking down a couple of them could be good. I wonder if in Return to Carcosa it could be nice as well or or Carcosa generally because the, the ratio of special tokens i feel like it's a better ratio as in there are fewer of them i feel like that's the case i'm wondering as i say that out loud whether i'm going to be found to be incorrect on that but i'm pretty sure that's the case so yeah you can seal up one of those symbols so you're obviously using it in a style that doesn't care about hitting those symbols and in fact wants to remove them and smooth out the bag for everyone and it just makes things a little bit nicer that you've got the charges here neat like a that's a nice upgrade for chthonian stone the big drawback I've always seen of Cthulhuian Stone is that people play it and then they pull a tentacle immediately afterwards and it feels terrible. So not doing that is very nice. And it works actually nice with Seal of the Seventh Sign, doesn't it, in combination? Because you can do something, you're sealing one of the things that will get rid of the charges from Seal of the Seventh Sign and you're sealing the thing that would make the Cthulhuian Stone go away. Yeah, that leaning into that powerful mode of playing bag manipulation oh, it makes me want to run protective incantation now as well and just do like a bag lockdown mode maybe in norman okay then we've got alter fate our first survivor card and this is a level one version so it's a downgrade from the level three alter fate that we know and hopefully love it costs three now instead of one 
It's lost its wild icon and it's gained willpower and agility icons, as you might expect in a downgrade. It's spell and blessed traded. Choose and discard from play a non-weakness treachery that is not attached to an elite enemy. We make our own fate. The original version was fast and one cost, and then had the same text, choose and discard from play a non-weakness treachery that is not attached to an elite enemy. So this isn't fast and costs three instead of one, which is quite a lot for this effect. Part of the power of Alter Fate is that you just do an immediate snipe of any dangerous card. It was particularly strong in the Circle Undone where you had encounter cards that sat out near the agenda deck waiting for the third copy to arrive, and particularly as well for things like Fate of All Fools that were accruing doom or damaging the person that they were on. And then also the thing that's so joyous about it is you can snipe things like Locked Doors or Obscuring Fogs at the time when you need it most, or Overgrowth. One of the things I love about Alter Fate 3 is how flexible it is. It's like the epitome of a power card. And in fact, playing the Blob the Date Everything recently, we had a Patrice player who ran Alter Fate in their deck. And it's like, the, I was going to say the perfect Patrice card. It's not the perfect Patrice card, but it's a really nice Patrice card because it's the kind of card that actually there's almost always something you can snipe with it. So if you're going to discard a card from your hand anyway at the end of your turn because you're Patrice, you may as well just Alter Fate something. And there's normally something to find, which, which was remarkable about it. That I think when Alter Fate came out, there was a bit of head scratching around, but what? Would you actually snipe with it? And then we realise that there are a lot of scenarios that have a card that sticks around in play, or a hex, or a deep dark, or whatever it is, and there's a lot of targets. Would I pay three resources, an action, and an XP to snipe something, rather than the one cost? I'm thinking actually, you know, in Marie or in Mateo, you take the level one version, and it's a really good arcane research target to get the next version for free. And I suppose, therefore, you have to make the level one version a little bit more, um, a little bit more expensive in terms of how you play it, because otherwise it's just such a great stepping stone to the level three version. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting excited about this ability if it's an action rather than a free triggered ability, but that's probably good because it's a level one card. Then we have on your own level three, which is weird because we've already had on your own level three, but this is one that was also announced. It's exceptional. So it costs 6 XP, and it's permanent, which is why it's null-costed. Your investigator gains deck-building restrictions, no assets that take up an ally slot. Reaction when you play a survivor event, exhaust on your own, reduce that event's cost by 2. So this is one of those weird situations where the return to version is an upgrade, because it costs more XP, but it looks like it costs the same. What you're paying for here is to have on your own in play immediately from when the scenario begins, because the level three version is two cost, limit one per investigator. So you can still run two in your deck, but you can only put one in play. The trade-off for having a permanently on, on your own, is that your deck isn't allowed to include allies. The original version of on your own, you had to discard it if you control an asset that takes up an ally slot, but this stops your deck even having allies. Of course, that's great for Ashcan, because Duke doesn't take up the ally slot. The other thing that's really nice is that if a scenario gives you an ally that takes up the ally slot, the permanent on your own, the new on your own, on your own six, doesn't care about that. Whereas the on your own three, you would have to discard it if you gained control of an asset that took up the ally slot. So I played with the, the original on your own, 
through Circle Undone in Ashcan and found it okay. I played some more expensive events and used it obviously as economy, but it's costing two and an action to play, so you're going to need to get pretty decent discount from various events to make it worthwhile. It was really, I think, one of those when it works, it works well cards. You know, 60% of the time it works every time sort of situation. When I got it down and the flow was right, it felt really powerful. But often I found either I didn't see it or I needed to play other things, things like that. So I don't think I cracked the on your own build. And I'm definitely intrigued to revisit it. And particularly actually with this 6xp version and see if there's actually a real sort of, I guess, economy to saving two resources every single turn. Of course, the other thing worth bearing in mind then is it turns on playing any one or two cost event uh, with Dark Horse. So you can be broke and still be able to play Look What I Found or Oops or Dumb Luck or whatever other card, Lucky if you want to play Lucky. And it also then means that three and four cost cards like Will to Survive or True Survivor or whatever else it is, you can play at two below their cost. So you can go up to one resource and uh, go up to two resources and then play Will to Survive for two. That seems really powerful. So yeah, I think Ashcan is the home for it, I think. But yeah, I could be wrong. Survivor allies are a strong bunch. So, you know, there's plenty of places that it seems like quite a sacrifice to take all allies out of your deck. That is it. For survivor cards and it's just one copy of on your own oh also because <laughs> i've known about this card and the people who do arkham db you know, the, that gang the scribes we've been talking as well about how the upgrading works do you upgrade one copy of on your own three to on your own six and get a discount or does it count you know it's a it's confusing and it has to add a new restriction to arkham db which is very confusing so it's quite a challenging card to work out the kind of mechanical impact it's having i suppose on the database Anyway, that's not the end of the cards, because we now have Backpack level 2. Now, Backpack is a card I have not played a lot. So this is 1 cost and 2 XP. The original, I think, was 2 cost. This has gained a combat icon, so it's combat and agility. It's item-traded. After Backpack enters play, search the top 12 cards of your deck for up to 3 non-weakness item or supply cards and attach them face down to Backpack. Shuffle your deck. Cards attached to Backpack may be played as if they're in your hand. If there are no cards attached to Backpack, discard it. Wow, it's just doubled the search amount, right? That's the only thing that's changed. Search the top, top 12, which is more or less half your deck once you've played a turn or two. One cost to search half your deck for three cards. Great. That's really cool. The, the search six was the thing that often held me back with Backpack. Because I just there were so many things I other things I wanted to do and paying two to only search six just felt really nasty. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think it'd be worth trying out in like a many weapons deck. So you get a selection of weapons under there and, and supply is obviously emergency cash, which is pretty cool. I think also could be fun to do in a deck that's maybe running different accessories that are item accessories. You want to get them down and you want to build out some kind of deck like that. I think that's pretty fun like i think the level two version you've probably got a good chance of hitting two maybe three depending on how much you packed your deck i i gravitate towards guardian as the place to go with it just because they're normally using weapons could be wrong could be wrong i also suddenly thinking of finn because he's a forgotten age investigator but yeah i mean even actually if you're running say calvin and you're running flashlight fire axe leather coat 
Cherish Keepsake. That's eight cards straight away that are item. You might not be running Emergency Cash, but say you are, that's ten cards in your deck. What are the odds on hitting in a 12-card search? Probably decent. So that's Backpack. Then we have Dendromorphosis. We've got two basic weaknesses here. I think it's two. This is an asset, null-costed, curse and flora-traded. Revelation put Dendromorphosis into play in your threat area. It cannot leave play while it has no damage on it. Free trigger, take a direct damage to deal a damage to Dendromorphosis. Card design by the botanists at Arkham Knights 2018. Flavor text, plants, which is, I think, a riff on ants from the card Ants in the Forgotten Age. It can only take one damage. So if you do that free trigger of dealing a direct damage to yourself to deal a damage to Dendromorphosis, you get rid of it. And this seems easily the weakest basic weakness until you see that it takes up a double hand slot which means when it comes into play, it knocks everything in your hands out, unless you're playing Joe and somehow have 16 hand slots or whatever Joe likes to roll. But other than that, it's emptying your hands, which actually is a great card to consider with Backpack. If you're playing an item-heavy, hands-full deck style, this is nasty and just wipes your hands at, you know, probably at that most crucial time. You can clear it easily, but it's discarded everything you've played. It's cost you two actions at least of the stuff you've set up and however many resources. Mean, horrid card. And I'm also just thinking that in, say, Seeker, it's pretty nasty as well, because you've probably got a magnifying glass or a tome or a fingerprint kit or a Hawkeye folding camera in your hands. That's also gone. Mystics are probably the least likely to be affected, but only just. It's pretty nasty. And then we have, I think this is a trio of cards. It is. They all have the same art, but it's just getting slightly more detailed. So you have Offer You Cannot Refuse, Basic Weakness, Pact Traded, Campaign Only. When you become the bearer of this weakness, gain two experience. I love it. Revelation, lose five resources. I do not love it. If you cannot, instead remove Offer You Cannot Refuse from your deck. Search the collection for fine print and place it in your discard pile. I don't like where this is going. Fine print, the pen is now moved on the art, and it looks like your signature is kind of floating into the air. It's a weakness as well, it's a pact. Revelation, lose seven resources. If you cannot, instead remove fine print from your deck, search the collection for sell your soul, and place it in your discard pile. Your scarlet signature drips from its surface. Yes, the signature is kind of floating upwards. So let's see, sell your soul. Lose 10 resources. If you cannot, your dark patron tears your consciousness from your body. You are driven insane. One way or another, the debt shall be repaid. Five resources, seven resources, 10 resources. So really, if you get off, you cannot refuse. The goal is to stay above the five resource threshold and for as long as possible. Because once you've got fine print, that seven resource threshold feels really mean. And then if you're at sell your soul, you're desperately packing your deck with economy just to make sure you're at 10 resources because otherwise you're driven insane. I love it. I think that's a really nice design. I'm pretty sure that with Doomed, it's just a case of seeing the card and every time you see it, you record something and get the new one. So Doomed can kill you fairly quickly if you loop your deck. Whereas with Offer, you cannot refuse at least there's some player agency that if you can keep your resources high enough, you're safe. The bonus of 2 XP when you gain it, like the Offer has paid off in some way, it's pretty nice. Yeah, it looks really fun. It looks really flavorful. I imagine it's going to create really cool stories. And that is it for the player cards of Return to the Forgotten Age. 
What do you think? What was your favorite? What are you most excited about? What cool investigator thing have I missed? I'd love to hear. We're at drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and designed by humans. And little bonus announcement, the UK Games Expo is doing a digital expo on the weekend of the 22nd and 23rd of August, which is in just under two weeks from now. We'll be running two blob events that you can take part in wherever you are in the world. And we'll also be running a panel on the Saturday afternoon where we're discussing various different things. It'll be me, Peter, maybe some other people. We'll see how we go. So we'd love for you to tune in for that as well. The best thing to do is to go to the UK Games Expo website. It's called, I think, Virtually Expo this year. Check it out and sign up because it would be great to see you and have you join us, even if it's just digitally. Thanks very much for listening. Bye. Bye.